0: Welcome to Episode 55 of the Steptoe Cyberlaw Podcast, brought to you by Steptoe and Johnson. Thank you for joining us. Uh, We are lawyers talking about technology, security, privacy, and government, and I'm joined today by Jason Weinstein, formerly with the Justice Department, where he oversaw criminal computer crime prosecutions, among other things, and is now doing criminal and civil litigation at Steptoe. Uh, Jason, um, uh, as is traditional, I'll I'll ask you to identify what you think is the story of the week.
1: Well, in my house, the story of the week was the fact that the Lego movie got snubbed for Best Anime. Made a of yeah, houses.
0: what a travesty. Yeah, I, I, that, that was a good movie. Yeah,
1: nothing compared to that in my
0: house. Yeah, okay. Uh, and Michael Vattis, formerly with the FBI and the Justice Department, now a partner in New York's, uh, Steptoe's New York office. Uh, uh, Michael, can you top that?
2: Uh, hmm. I don't think so. But uh, in the cyber news, I'd probably say the top story is uh, the reports that GCHQ and NSA uh, hacked into SIM card makers, Jamalto's uh, encryption.
0: Yeah, that's going to be a big deal. I, I agree with you. Uh, our guest commentator today is Nula O'Connor, uh, who is the president and CEO of the Center for Democracy and Technology. Uh, welcome, Nula.
3: Thank you so much. Delighted to be here.
0: Uh, and you're you're feel free to nominate a uh, a story of the week, but you're not obliged. Well, I was
3: going to take down the Lego Movie. Was which one won? Was it Big Hero?
0: Big Hero.
3: Well, that gets girls into robotics. It gets young kids excited no, about computer science. Awesome, really. Like, I'm sorry, it's got a lot of good you know social messages.
0: So. <laughs> yeah, the Big Hero is the one with the uh, inflatable uh, yes. body, and oh, that is cute, yeah, that was cute, yes. Healthcare. Um, okay, and I'm Stuart Baker, formerly with the NSA and DHS and record holder for returning to Steptoe to practice law more times than any other lawyer. Uh, let's get started uh, uh The story uh, that uh, we've already uh, uh, flagged is GCHQ and uh, presumably NSA accused of stealing cell phone encryption keys from Gemalto in a mass um, uh, liberation of the keys so that they could be used to decrypt what would otherwise be very difficult to decrypt uh, cell phone communications. Uh, um, uh, But the the story uh, suggests that they had – um, access to keys of all sorts without regard to whether any of them were targets. And Jamalto uh, was not particularly a uh, target of intelligence gathering. It was just a means to an end. Uh, so I, I predict there will be a lot of uh, flap over this one. Uh, um, Gemalto's stock went down 7%, I think, uh, uh, for at least a brief period, uh, uh, and – Large chunks of Europe and the Dutch government and the European Union are upset about it. Uh, so we're gonna, we're gonna see quite a bit of activity uh, with respect to that story. Uh, so Stuart, does, yep. this,
2: does this mean you're gonna uh, revisit your uh, earlier comment? Uh, that the Snowden leaks were, had really petered out and they weren't going to re, uh, reveal anything new?
0: Yeah, I have to important. say, this, this, is, this, is, this is a big deal, uh, and uh, uh, this is uh, Glenn Greenwald's uh, stuff. It's, uh, it's part of his trove, so uh, I don't know what took him so long, but uh, this is a real story. All right, uh, uh, so let me uh, uh, let me turn to uh, a much smaller story, which is the fight over Rule 41, uh, which uh, the Justice Department has been trying to, uh, uh, to modify and which Google does not want to change. Jason, did you look at the uh, details of this?
1: Yeah, so this rule has been a, a problem for the Justice Department for some time. In fact, the proposal to change it was actually uh, uh, adopted or proposed in September of 2013, well before the Microsoft litigation that, that uh, has dominated the headlines. So the rule in question is Rule 41B, which establishes the, the venue um – uh, requirements for a judge to issue a search warrant once the, it decides the government has probable cause.
0: It has to be a search inside the district, right?
1: It, generally. There are certain exceptions, including for terrorism cases and, and, and certain other exceptions that uh, the judge could issue a warrant for property outside the district. And what the Justice Department has asked in response to a case in Texas or in Houston, I think, in which the government tried to use a, a, a remote access tool to locate a computer, they, did, they had probable cause to search a computer, but they didn't know where the hell it was. And so they asked for it happens to me all the time <laughs> they asked for, but that's not because they're getting old so they they uh, they asked for permission to use a remote access tool to identify the computer, and the judge said no because of these venue requirements so uh, the criminal divisions on behalf of the department submitted a proposal that would allow uh, a judge in cases where uh, multiple computers needed to be searched in multiple locations at a time, like in a botnet case. Or where there were uh, technological means used to conceal the location of the computer, such as where proxy servers were being used or Tor, uh, the judge would be empowered if it found probable cause and that the other requirements of the Fourth Amendment were satisfied, the judge would be able to issue the warrant even though the computer couldn't definitively be said to be in that district. And it's been, it was a controversial proposal before the Microsoft litigation. I think it's only become more controversial after because it does raise the possibility that, uh, the government will Since it doesn't know where the the location of the computer, the computer could be in Knoxville, Tennessee, or it could be in Finland, and the government won't know that at the time that it starts executing the warrant.
0: And why should it matter whether it's in Finland or Tennessee?
1: Well, from a constitutional point of view, it actually doesn't matter. You know, the the Fourth Amendment um, doesn't apply to searches of property of non-U.S. persons overseas, and even as to U.S. persons, while the Fourth Amendment applies, the warrant requirement does not apply. And so you could get a warrant for a computer even one owned by a U.S. person that's being searched in Finland, um, not to pick on Finland, and, and it turns out that you don't need a warrant uh, because the computer's overseas, then the test the court has to apply is the reasonable test. And the fact that you went and got a warrant is certainly going to be relevant to the consideration of whether you acted reasonably, but the warrant requirement would be of no application. There are policy considerations separate and apart from the legal and constitutional ones, though. I think there are questions being raised about whether the government should be able to do these kinds of searches without specific congressional authorization is,
0: is, is, that the, is that the issue that Google is principally concerned about the possibility that this will end up as a search of a computer outside the United States
1: you know there are a number of other considerations google raised you know general concerns about the fact that it's a expansion of they, they view it as an expansion of search and seizure authority that it weakens the particularity of notice requirements, according to them, but the fundamental, the core of their concern is, is extraterritoriality.
0: So there's already been a case that I think the Russians objected to where we went into a computer in Russia uh, to get access to uh, uh, the uh, contents of the computer, basically taking a, uh, uh, a password and logging on remotely and then taking information out. Uh, why was that not illegal if there's a problem with doing this.
1: Well, I, I think in that case, they knew the computer was in Russia at the time they did it, right. and I, I don't think it was illegal from, from the point of view of U.S. law. I think the Russians viewed it right. differently, yeah. <laughs> and in fact, I think there's an open arrest warrant for that agent even today. For both of them, I think, uh, For yeah. both of them. Um, you know, w- one of the things that DOJ says, uh, for better or worse, is that what they're asking for is the same rule uh, a- as applies in terrorism cases, and actually, even in ECPA warrants, you know, warrants for stored content that are uh-huh. held by providers, the judge uh, the judge who has jurisdiction over the offense, in other words, the judge in the location where the investigation's occurring, can issue the warrant. You know, you don't have to go to the Northern District of California every time you want to do a search warrant at Google. And, and so they, they say that there's precedent also for a judge in high-tech, you know, computer investigations to be able to do, to have sort of nationwide, um, uh, venue for search warrants. Um, you know, there is the, the argument that, that was advanced in the Microsoft case that a search doesn't actually occur until the data is actually retrieved and then, and, and then searched in the U.S. But regardless of whether that argument holds any water, I think DOJ's argument is there's not a constitutional problem here. But Google, I think Google's fundamental concern, as I said, is extraterritorial, but also, um, as a policy matter, Google's arguing that, it, that something like this should be done by Congress and not by a, uh, well, think it is a
0: little weird that this is a judicial rule that's been sitting around. Well, are they going to go through notice and comment on this?
1: Well, they have, actually. And okay. there have been hearings and testimony and, you know, the oh, ACLU. did and these are the comments, the Yeah, these are the comments. Um, there has been testimony, I think, or incurred.
2: Go ahead. Don't these rules uh, end up getting uh, approved by Congress? Is yeah. there some sort of congressional imprimatur on these?
1: Yeah, my understanding has always been that the last step in the process is that the, the slate of rules changes is proposed to Congress, and if Congress does not act, to stop them, then they right. become the law. So in effect, Congress is going to have a bite at the apple, even if this process continues on the track that it's on.
0: So what's your bet about yeah, how I, this is going to turn out?
1: Um, you know, it's hard to say. I, I think if we were talking about Congress, I would think it has very little chance of passing. But the fact that it's being uh, evaluated by judges who are being called on to make these kind of decisions every day, I think at least gives it uh, a greater likelihood of, of getting passed. But this is, I think, the second round... The second time it's been put forth, once in 2013 and then again with slight modifications in 2014. So it did, obviously didn't go through the first time.
0: Yeah, and, and you know,
2: if There yes. is something, you know, I think, I think Google may be overstating its case a little bit. First of all, the Justice Department has disclaimed that this would allow searches of computers overseas. And the language of the amendment also makes specific reference to, uh, districts other than the one in which the uh, order is being sought. So it, it, it clearly is contemplating uh, searches of computers in other districts, i.e. Uh, places within the United States. So, I mean, it could be clearer, but I don't think Google's got the greatest argument in here, and I, and I wonder whether they're really... Uh, making this big stink over this because they sat out the the Microsoft uh, case. They didn't file to make this
0: brief, but not, not that you're you know, bitter about know, that. Why, why
2: <laughs> you know, are you not against uh, Are you not against extraterritorial warrants? And this is a way for them to say, Well, yeah, we are.
0: All right. Well, speaking of, of uh, uh, sitting out cases, uh, it looks as though this Twitter First Amendment litigation is going to a- attract another crowd of amicus from Silicon Valley. Uh, um, uh, Michael, did you take a look at that?
2: Yeah, this is the uh, the suit that Twitter filed saying that the uh, government's restrictions on uh, disclosure of how many NSLs or FISA uh Warrants a uh, communications company received their violations of the first amendment. I think this was uh Twitter suit was filed last fall and recently uh several have filed briefs supporting Twitter's case including the Washington Post.
0: And how serious is this issue really?
2: Uh I think it's a decent issue. I think uh, there was another district court that ruled uh, against the government in a in a similar case. So I could see having a district court, at least, uh, if not a, a court of appeals, rule in favor of Twitter.
0: All right. And I, I assume there's nobody on the other side that this is all uh, Silicon Valley versus the Justice Department. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, and how about uh, uh, speaking of Silicon Valley versus the Justice Department? Yahoo has also beaten up uh, the, uh, uh, the Justice Department uh, uh, thanks to... Uh, 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 magistrate Judge Gruel, uh, who is now, uh, you know, becoming one of the, uh, the most famous magistrates in, uh, um, uh, the country over some of these issues. Uh, he, uh, he ruled that, uh, the government couldn't keep a gag order in effect on Google, uh, until further notice or indefinitely. Is that right?
2: Yeah, this is another instance of the uh, magistrates' revolt that we talked about before, which seems to be expanding not necessarily in terms of the uh, number of magistrates who are joining it, but in terms of the the scope of uh, the ma- the few magistrates who are involved and the scope of their complaints about what the government's doing. And, and this involves uh, the portion of the store Stor Communications Act that allows the government to, basically uh, impose a gag order on a communications company that receives uh, some sort of an order or a warrant or a, a subpoena. Uh, and it allows the government to seek a, uh, a gag order for such period as the court deems appropriate. And in this case, the government wanted a gag order that would be in effect until further order of the court. And the magistrate says, look, it basically said, you have to identify an endpoint because what you're asking for is essentially a a gag order in perpetuity, because who's going to come to the, the court and ask that it end the gag order? Clearly not the government.
0: Uh, no, but Yahoo. Uh, at would, least that's what the magistrate Wouldn't well. you expect Yahoo to come in and ask? Uh,
2: it, it might, uh, and I think that's, that's a, that's a fair argument. Um, but it, it does seem, it seems like a reasonable decision to me, uh, yeah. that you should put that point on. You can come back and seek an extension, uh, but I don't, I don't think the, the statute really envisions uh, an yeah. indefinite gag order.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. And Yahoo shouldn't have the burden of coming back and asking the, the court to overturn the gag order. The fact is, events change over the course of the investigation, and the reason why the, the judge and other judges, like Judge Gruhl, want the, the, the gag order to be for per a specified period of time, renewable upon request, is because you need to demonstrate at each stage of the investigation, when, at each stage when you're asking for the gag order to be extended, that there is an ongoing need for it. That, you know, The standard is that it, that you have to demonstrate it would seriously jeopardize an investigation. And what looks like it would jeopardize an investigation today may not look so, uh, so like such a big deal six or 12 months from now.
0: So you're not – this is just about who has the burden of, of coming in, uh, and it puts the burden on the government to come in on a regular basis and say, no, we still need it. Uh, maybe this is my uh, lack of experience with prosecutors. I kind of expect a certain amount of incompetence and uh, uh, people are going to make mistakes. They're going to forget that there was a gag order that has to be renewed and uh, they aren't going to file. And then uh, uh, without anybody expecting it, the uh, um, person under investigation is going to get notice.
1: Well, uh, you know, there's certain uh, I, I don't i wouldn 't expect incompetence um, and I, I certainly think people are overworked and they 're busy and, and they 've got a lot of cases, but there are certain deadlines on a prosecutor 's calendar that you don 't miss you don 't miss the day your wiretap expires it has to get renewed That's you, know, true. Yeah. you know and your pen register has to get renewed, and you 're not going to miss the date that that your gag order has to get renewed if it 's that important to you that that there right. be no disclosure, you're going to have that date circled in red on your calendar. You're going to have the, the renewal request in on time.
0: All right. So, so this this really is just about defaults. It's not it's not, not some grand uh, uh, principle. It seems. Yeah,
1: to and I don't think he's doing a diatribe against gag orders. He's just saying they have to be done in a measured way, and that's
0: right. All right. Uh, last story that uh, I thought we ought to cover today uh, uh, is this um, Lenovo Superfish commodia flap. Uh, uh, Lenovo is, uh, uh, was originally the one that was, uh, under the gun. Now it, the the scope of this flap has expanded. Uh, uh, Lenovo installed Superfish, um, uh, software on some of its computers, I guess not the ThinkPads, but everything else. Uh, uh and the, uh, uh, the way this, Product was supposed to work is it looked at what you were looking at, pictures of what you were looking at, and in a actually kind of cool way, it matched up the photos of what you were looking at to some photos that it wanted to serve you as ads in the hopes that it could serve you an ad for something that was just perfect and you'd say, Oh, that's what I want. Uh, and so uh the original idea was this was a visual ad serving uh, uh engine uh, and by itself um, you know some people would say yeah that's kind of tacky i uh, if i wanted uh, to search for that i'd search for that uh, um, it, but the really big problem arose because increasingly everybody is using ssl tls uh, as a way of encrypting communications right from the uh user to the site, uh, and it was hard for Comodia to find a way to uh, look at the pictures because it wasn't—it was looking at an encrypted pipe. So what it did was basically break the encryption, bring the encryption one pipe to its server. It would then look at the pictures, it would re-encrypt it, and go on to the next uh, to the uh, uh, site that the um, user actually wanted to go to. So it was encrypted in passage, but it was decrypted uh, on the server, um, a, which. Uh, many people think is a significant security uh, flaw uh and maybe worse in order to do that uh, with tls these days you have to have a certificate that says yeah i am authorized at this site to to uh encrypt uh and to do that uh the uh Uh, the company inserts itself as a certification authority, says, I can tell you I'm authorized to uh, uh, approve encryption and identify sites, and then um, it will sign these on the fly, since it doesn't know every site on the uh, Internet. It can actually say... uh, this guy's going to Citibank. I will step in and say I am authorized to uh, uh, communicate uh, in a secure fashion and to validate uh, 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 Citibank communications. Um, and to do that, it needs a private key, which unfortunately has to be shared in the software using a password, which Commodia chose. It was Commodia. Um, it took about three hours for the internet to figure this out, which means that anybody now can go in and break this encryption, if I understand it right, uh, uh, and intercept uh, your TLS communications when you're sitting in a uh, uh, you know any Wi-Fi enabled uh, location. So this is pretty troubling. It turns out the Commodia, which has at least some ties to the Israeli Defense Force, uh, at least it has alumni from the IDF, uh, um, has been providing this capability for Lavasoft, which most people use actually to knock out ads and to keep my family safe, which is a, a bunch of things that are designed to, to screen for sites that kids shouldn't go to which you can understand why they have to break the encryption to do that, because otherwise they won't know what site uh, the kids are going to. Um, eh, but the way in which this was done is, is likely to produce, I would guess, a raft of lawsuits, uh, not just against Lenovo, but against Keno- uh, Commodia, against some of these other uh, 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 providers of services. Uh, it's going to be kind of a mess.
2: So, So, I mean, what are your your thoughts about whether this is uh, really all about cyber espionage, either by the Chinese or the Israelis or
0: both, which would be an interesting combo? That would be an interesting combo and not, unfortunately, unthinkable. Um, I'm guessing it's not directly for purposes of cyber espionage, but I wouldn't be surprised if... um, at least the Israelis were alive to the possibility that it could be used in that fashion.
2: And I suppose the Chinese would be, too, at least now after it's been publicized. Well,
0: now everybody knows, okay. yeah. And, uh, and you know, I, I, I this is, interestingly, it's more valuable to governments that control territory than anybody else because for the rest of uh, us, if we wanted to engage in cyber espionage, we have to get between the user and the Internet, uh, which is not easy to do, except on a Wi-Fi intercept, uh, um, unless you're a government, in which case you just walk into the ISP and say, I'd like to get between everybody and the Internet, and, and that happens. Um, so it probably does fit, uh, create a bigger problem f- from the point of view of uh, uh, governments than uh, even uh, uh, the other uh, worries that people have identified. Okay. Uh that's our news of the week. Uh let's move on to our interview with Nuala O'Connor. Uh uh Nuala is an old friend. Um uh though I don't think we agree on much. Uh but that's okay. <laughs> we agree
3: how wonderful you are. Sir. That's what we agree
0: on. <laughs> well, and I'm perfectly happy to agree how wonderful you are. Right. Um you've been at CDT now about a year. Mhm. Uh, and CDT has existed uh, just about 20 years. That's I was right. in, we just had
3: our 20th anniversary last yeah, year. And I was mm-hmm.
0: around for the creation That's of the CDT birth. when the with the uh, famous breakup with the <gasps> do uh,
3: You remember the I birth story do. is not was, as pretty as when we're going to try to rewrite it. It <laughs> was it
0: was it was kalia that did it, and I was involved in the Kalia fight. Uh, and uh, yeah, it was uh, um, it was a question whether you want to take it the best deal you're going to get or uh, hold out for perfection uh, despite the fact that it makes you less relevant to the debate, um, a uh, tension in the privacy community ever since. Uh, so, uh, uh, but 20 years on, or one year on, um, where do you think CDT is making its most valuable, unique contribution?
3: How's it going? After a year, right? Yeah. Well, first of all, thank you for having me. I'm delighted to be here with this august group of, of speakers. Um it's a joy, first of all, for me to be at CDT, to go to work every day. And at, you know all the places i worked, and Stuart and I, in full disclosure, worked together at Homeland Security, one of the greatest jobs I'm, I'm sure both of us have had. Um, but then I spent some time in tech, both at DoubleClick and Amazon, and, and also the great General Electric company. I think
0: I first met you at DoubleClick. Double
3: Click. Yeah. I know. That was a long time ago. We're not going to say how long. Ago, no. Because we still look fabulous and younger even than then, um, or less stressed anyway, that's for yeah, sure. That's for and sure. that's actually when I first met CDT, on the other side of the negotiating table. Ah, And I will never reveal the conversation I had with Deirdre Mulligan, who was one of the founding members of CDT Mm -hmm. and is now our chairperson of the board. Um, That that meeting will stay in the annals of the secret CDT history. But it is fun to be on this side of the table. And I believe deeply in what we're working on. And I hope it's true, and I think it is, that CDT, under my tenure, will be very much back to the Jerry Berman days of Mm -hmm. we are part of the center of the dialogue, and I don't mean that centrist politically, but rather we are the convener of the conversation between government and industry and academia and advocacy, where all voices are at the table and all are respected. And we do believe that solutions are more important than, than fractious, you know, conversation. Um, and that the conversation needs to be respectful, something we're all losing in Washington, I yes, think, I over the last few years on all sides of that table. Um, so I, I, I have these conversations almost weekly now with Jerry Berman, one of the founders and who really set that original tone. And I think we, we really find joy in that position. It doesn't mean we make everybody happy, or frankly, or some days anybody happy. Um, but the, the policy areas that we're working on are also kind of Back to the beginning as well. I mean, this, the, the conversations we're having around NSA and Snowden and and uh, Kalia and CLIA two and, CLIA too, and uh, all of the, the many things that are going to happen this year or not happen in Congress are very reminiscent of the initial portfolio that really brought CDT into existence. And I do think some of the most important work. And we listen. We have a full plate, and I'll, I'm happy to go through all of the issues. But I think. Where we can make a difference is in the conversation between the individual and their government and how we negotiate our boundaries in the digital world. And as we become even more enmeshed in this completely always on digital world, the the story I always use is, you know, the walls will have the walls will be screens and, you know, our daily lives will be digital and and documented as i'm wearing my fitbit very proudly and i know that my health data is in the cloud right now um i'd rather not share that with you or anyone else frankly but i know what i did this morning um (laughs) but it it there have to be conversations and new negotiations about what is mine what is yours what is the company's and most importantly what is the government and in fact i was tweeting something over the weekend and someone said she seems a little more obsessed about government use of data than companies use of data um and that is because I feel like we're making less progress in the dialogue around what we are uh, engaging in and sharing with our governments, really? not only here and we're, the, I, we're making a lot of noise, yeah. but i I feel like people are very entrenched and the the impetus behind government data collection, Stuart, as you and I well know, having spent time at homeland security is very real. And so I think the voice that I bring to advocacy is that we do not discount at CDT the seriousness of the threat right, right. we know there are people who are trying to do us harm. That We are not going to discount that there are very legitimate national security and law enforcement impetus behind the collection and use of data, pers- even highly personal so, data. Okay, so
0: let me propose a my principle. <laughs> oh, yeah, I, I know what you, I, I, you're going to get to it. Uh, but uh, let me just offer a principle. Mm. If the data has been given to a company so it can serve ads to us and the government needs it to prevent terrorist attacks, how can you say, oh, no, the government had to have it. I just gave it to the to these guys for
3: their ads. Oh, this is going to be fun. Stuart, I didn't give my data to anyone because I wanted them to serve me ads. Come on. Well, you wanted, the no, premise you, of your you, question is false. You wanted free I email. want, no, <laughs> I, 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 well, let's go to Google Mail, let's go to, uh, Gmail in a minute, but, I have given my data willingly, knowingly, and with full consent, so that I can avail myself of the service. Let's use my favorite health tracker that I shouldn't name by, by brand name. I do that all the time um, for the, the purpose of having a healthier day and knowing what my my data is, and and eating better, and sleeping more, and you know, exercising, and knowing I got my my steps in. I Do not assume, and I don't think it's, I think it's a faulty assumption to say because I have engaged in a digital life that all of that data de facto should end up in the hands of the federal government. The but I was going to offer is simply legitimate, targeted, tailored information collection by the government has to happen. I mean we we are just on the the heels of the Charlie Hebdo attacks and the the persistent threat to this country and to others and I, again I hate to be emotional about it but as you know as a child in Northern Ireland I witnessed what it feels like to have someone try to kill you because I mean not me directly but experienced in the air and in and in certain incidents what it feels like to have someone hate you because of what you are and not mm-hmm. because of what have you done what you have done to them. I don't want my children to live in that world here in the United States or any other child to live in, in that kind of experience. But I do not want them to live in a world where the government knows everything about them all the time. That is not a good world for them to live in either. Um, and I think what we're renegotiating here is the boundaries between me, my data, and the government so, because okay. all of my data let, is going let, to be let, out there. Let,
0: let, me, let me take this back to Homeland Security since we're at least children of, uh, of DHS. Uh, uh, PNR which we all fought for years to get the Europeans to permit us to gather routinely across the board uh, in a dragnet so that we could use it at the border to decide who we wanted to spend more than 30 seconds with. Very valuable uh, and very effective, but it is, it's a, it, we basically said, if you, know, you gave it to the uh, travel reservation, you gave it to the airlines, then airlines are going to have to give it to us in bulk. Uh, and we're going to use it in a tailored way, but it, we can look at it all.
3: But you've decided that is an event that is a high-risk potentially catastrophic event, someone getting on an airplane or the wrong person getting on the airplane. So I would describe that as more tailored, and believe me, we sat in those negotiations for years on the PRNR, slicing and dicing the 600 down to 60, down to 40 data elements that were most essential to the government to have. Plus, we put in place things like data retention and data expulsion where it wasn't permanently housed. But
0: we we were gathering everything. We were gathering the, the, the data of perfectly innocent travelers.
3: Yes, it is true, and the only other option would be to gather only those that you've already decided are highly suspicious. Right, which, which means you, which know, you never also, find those suspicious ones. Okay. Right, which is, which, exactly, and I think that we decided that was a flawed strategy as well. But back to your original question of just because I've given my data to the intranets,
0: mm-hmm. I,
3: I should – be wantonly giving it to the, the the government, my federal government, or anyone well, else's. But, you know,
0: the government has to have a reason. It has to have a justification. I don't think but, we
3: saw that in the NSA revelations, did we? I mean, you mentioned They
0: collected it, but they didn't look at it. Oh, and
3: let's get to the normal definition of what it means to collect versus store versus process. I I am a great believer in where our Supreme Court is on these these issues, and they would say the plain language of the word is collecting means having it, not whether you looked at it or not, but whether or not you got it. Yeah, but surely there's a difference between up.
0: having it in the drawer and looking at it. Yeah, I yeah. mean, how, how worried about you, on, you about data? You worked in the government.
3: You know, once you've got it, you're going to do all sorts of really fun things with it. That's yeah, so, my but, biggest but, concern. But they
0: were... Enormous number of carefully enforced restrictions on what could be done with it. Inclu- Everybody w- was well aware of that. But uh, I, whatever the Fourth Amendment analysis is, there is clearly a difference between storing it and not looking at it or and then looking at it under uh, careful restrictions about what uh, uh, the basis for looking at it is, the number of searches, where you can go with it. uh, uh, That's clearly two different things.
3: No, I don't agree.
0: (laughs) That is so irresponsible.
3: Oh, I don't think so at all. I think the plain meaning of collect means collect. And I think that once the government has it, the potential for misuse, abuse, and exuberant uh, pursuit of one 's mission as we all i 'd rather have a clearly defined narrowly tailored mission for an agency where they run hard to the wall. To, to pursue their their ends, rather than oh, we're going to just collect everything and then we'll think about later what we want. I mean, that's also very much a scientific si- that mindset of of many data collection you know uh, activities. Is we'll take it all now, we'll figure out later what we be want with it. For I am again highly suspicious as the data becomes much more evocative and much more personal and much more kind of what seems like your vita quotidien, your ordinary daily life, but becomes so much more evocative of who you are and what your choices are I, I I think that not enough work has been done actually on the chilling effect of the psychology and the sociology Why? what I'm, we're bringing to CDT not only is computer scientists and engineers but increasingly the, the humanities and, and sociology and psychology I should have been a sociology major we had a great uh, a great program in college um, because that's the voice that's missing in this dialogue is not just do we have the data what can we do with it but should we
0: well I, I- I agree with you that uh, there's more data and it tells us more. It's also much cheaper to collect, which is why private mm-hmm. companies and governments are much more likely to collect it than they used to be. And that's, that's like a fact of nature. You can't, you can't stop that. And saying, well, I want st- to make the government stop and think about everything it collects is basically saying, I don't think the government should be in the big data world, live in a big data world.
3: I take your point. I see, I see what you're saying. And I do not, and I said this at Homeland, I do not want our government to be stupider than you know, the rest of the world. I want them to have the tools and be highly effective. But I do not think we we have had the national conversation, and, and the unfortunate reality of the post-Snowden era is that we are now, or the, or the fortunate reality I guess for some of us, is that we are having the conversation about what our government knows about us and what the data can reveal and whether it's useful or not. I, I think the conversation around metadata is a perfect example. I talked to very senior folks at, at the NSA and DOJ and elsewhere who said, oh no, no, metadata is data. Like, we It really tells us stuff, which means we, we can't really slice and dice metadata versus content. It, it's That's a meaningless distinction. Data is data. I agree it's power. I, I agree it's relevant, and I also agree that I do not want ubiquitous data collection by my federal government. That, to me, tips the balance of power very far away from what the, our forefathers envisioned. For so this you,
0: it, But you're content to have uh, industry gather it so that it is a subpoena or if, if you no, win I, your fight, a search warrant away from the government. So it's not very far from the government being able to get it.
3: I take your point. I would not want to put, and we have fought against, actual data retention requirements for, for example, the telecoms, where we just basically shift the burden from the NSA but, but that's to the a requirement. telecoms. So you're, I, not,
0: you're not saying they have to get rid of it.
3: I'm not saying they have to get rid of it, but I also don't want them to have to keep it based and to do the, the, the work of the NSA or, or the other agencies. And, in fact, I agree with you that legally that, that data would be more exposed to civil demands than it would be in the hands of the federal government. But, again, I, I think it's a fundamental flaw to argue that because I engage in a fully active digital life, I am giving up any sense of, of privacy in that data. I've engaged in a one-to-one marketplace transaction with a company for a particular purpose. I would even object to secondary or tertiary purposes, of which I am not aware, at the point of data collection by that company. I certainly object to it going to the so government.
0: Let me ask you an unfair question. I, <laughs> I, um, you've got kids. I sure They're can. old enough to have phones. Yes, they are. Um, did you get them phones? Yes, I did. I, and did you put a location uh, 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 software on their <laughs> I phones? I told you the story uh, no, already. <laughs> <you haven't. laughs>
3: There's privacy for everyone except my children. Exactly. This, this podcast will be heard someday by those children. <laughs> but listen, I can—I mean, in all seriousness, I can talk for a great length about educating and protecting and tracking. I'm the mother of two young girls and one young boy, and they are digitally literate in a way that I will never be. I, I love to tell this story because my youngest's name is Ian, and my old boss at, at Amazon, his his youngest son was named Ian as well, except his Ian is about 20 years older than mine. And his Ian was born before there was Kindle. My Ian will never know a world where there is not a tablet Within arm's length of right. him. He will also not know a world where there are televisions in every room because we are down to one television set in our entire house because we don't need it. We've got Kindle Fire and, and we've got more Kindles than we have people in the house. Yeah, actually. so
0: instead of blaring at you. right, so everyone's got this
3: individual, but it's also individualized. Like yes. I actually more in the sense of the, the shared social experience. Like we will rarely sit, I will force them to sit down and watch a movie together. But anyway, I digress. I want my kids to be fully digitally literate. My child, again, my youngest, even at three could swipe his Kindle and literally swiped his Kindle off the kitchen counter one night. It's a hilarious story. I'll tell you later. But um, I would rather they J- Jason be full, Jason's, full.
0: if I remember, comes up to him while he's sleeping and, and puts t- his, his fingerprint on it <laughs> so it can open,
3: right? He's got, oh, got, he's got his own fingerprint yeah, on, your, on your, uh, yeah. your phone. Yeah. No, no. He his dad's fingerprint on Whoa. Oh, no, is sleeping. No, no, no.
1: no my, I think A that might criminal. be Mike's. Mine actually installed his own fingerprint on the yeah. <laughs>
3: Yes, yeah, that's even better. So he can use it anytime. time. But I would rather have my kids know how to behave. I mean, my big concern, obviously, is cyberbullying and inappropriate content and the horror stories we hear about people putting, you know, pictures online and kind of the, the slut shaming that you see in the college campuses. I want my kids to be fully aware of all those risks. And, no, your question about that, I did have a location tracker at one point. I do not anymore. I did on the, on my, the child's first iPhone years ago. Um, I do not anymore, but I do engage in some surveillance of right. my children. I cannot say that I don't. So uh, don't you think that the kids <laughs> – That's a total hypocritical the, the, comment?
0: No, well, it does done by me, of all mm-hmm. people, <laughs> but it, it – It does seem to me that the kids who are growing up with location trackers, parental location trackers on their phones, will never think that their location should be free from surveillance by authority figures because the ultimate authority figure always knows where they are and they're used to
3: it. Uh, That's a very good point. And actually, that's a conversation we're having in my house, and that's why I took it off. Um, I I commend you to one of my favorite new television shows, um, Madam Secretary, where in one of the earliest episodes, the parents, the, the, the president, and her husband, broke the link at a certain age where the kids were no longer kind of – I mean, my kids were minor, really tiny minors at the time, and I was worried about their physical safety. But at some point, the the parents decided no longer to monitor the email of their teenage daughter – And it was a really poignant scene where the two of them sat there and went, "Oh my God, it's parenting without a net, right?" And I think what I'm worried about is not only the the lazy parenting that comes with some of the 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 technologies that we've we've um, been discussing, but also the lack the the lack of the ability to untether. We see this on college Mm -hmm. campuses: kids who call home or text home, or you know, I went away to college and I'm 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 a good kid, so I called home pretty frequently. But you know, I didn't want to see my parents from one semester to the next, right? And and I do worry a little bit about the autonomy and the agency that. That we are losing in our young children. Um so I think your your point is very, very well taken and I have dialed back my, my physical no, I, 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 a I, lot. I I
0: I I share your view that uh, kids today are too in hot to, to, hock to mm-hmm. uh to authority figures who all turn out to be uh uh crazy academic uh, liberals. Um uh, but uh, uh, so let me ask about uh, another parental issue that also ties to this commodia thing. Uh keep our family safe. Is a commodia program, which means it breaks the SSL so that it can look in and say, you know, where is this kid going and should he go there? Um, that's not much different from the circumstances on uh, networks uh, like Steptoes or probably CDTs. If you want to protect the network, you need to watch every outgoing connection to see if uh, your entire uh, database is being downloaded. Um, so... You can't have um, the security that you want your kids to have or that you want your uh, company to have and still have those SSL connections work. And at the same time, nobody is very happy with how Commodia did this. Um, does CDG have a nuanced position on this or just do you just think TLS is always a great thing? I think there are
3: there Multiple uses and concerns around those kinds of technologies. And so I hope we have a nuanced position. Um, the commodious story for us, for starters is so bad. You want to laugh almost, except it's not funny.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, no, but you, you want to throw the, up.
3: The fact pattern is, is, is horrendous. I mean, it's starting with that, the most superficial layer of the content intrusion, which really kind of reminds me of the concerns people raise, I think val- validly around email. Kind of bots that were reading your email to serve you up the correct ads and 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 almost any kind of kind of content monitoring intended for advertising or or whatever uh, that leave people with I can't oh, even boy, that a better sh- that word ship that ship has sailed that, right it has and it has I mean it has to a certain extent in that the technology exists. And people are more aware of it. It hasn't in that I think we the industry that are employing it can still do a better job of explaining how it works. Okay. And and I think what you know, our old friend Marty Evans used to say the knowledge gap, the knowledge gap between what the technology actually does and what people expect it to do, that was really the double click story, right? What double click was doing twenty years ago looks benign, right, compared to what's going on today. But they were on the vanguard of things as as now seemingly benign as cookies. Um but did a, maybe not a great job of explaining how the right. the technology worked. And so and I've said listen your social contract as well as selling people ads and 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 providing value to the websites that you serve is to educate the end user about how the technology works so they can either be comfortable or not engage. You know that it is ultimately I think why I feel more concerned about Government intrusion than than corporate intrusion is. You can vote with your feet to a certain extent. I mean, there are certainly some big brand names that are hard to to vote around. But um, you your your penalty for voting against your government is either leaving town, leaving the country, or you know, or not engaging in 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 a fully digital life. I think those consequences are a little harder. Um, I am very concerned about, but I do think there are there are actual consequences too. The breaking the encryption. that really go to customer trust and potentially to fraudulent behavior. If you have promised one thing and you have delivered another, I do think the consequences, whether class actions or you know agency investigations or whatever, are are substantial enough that 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 ship can right itself. Um, I, I have again greater concerns about our ability to. Apply that so you,
0: to I, 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 I'm not going to fight you that that you ought to tell people that you're doing that because they think that they're securely <laughs> connecting to their banking site mm-hmm. and they are kind of securely uh, connecting to their banking site. Uh, but that's uh, that implies that if you tell them, you can it's do it. It's all okay,
3: right. No, I agree. There, th- should there be rules where it's, some things are simply not okay? I think that that we may get to that point.
0: It's, it's, it, 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 okay? it, um, it, it's gonna be very weird, uh, because part of what Commodia was doing was responding to the um, enthusiasm that Google and others have for putting uh, TLS everywhere, uh, and yet there are these very understandable motivations that really require you to look at the content, have a third party look at the content. Sometimes it's ads, which you might or might not like, uh, but in other cases it's the parents uh, or it's the uh, uh, it, it's the CISO. Uh, right. And uh, I, I think to the extent that uh, we make it impossible to break that tls we're creating situations that we can't fully uh uh, predict
3: Uh, so i've seen that conversation in the the corporate setting and i agree that companies want uh, and institutions of all kinds want to protect the digital floor walls of their organization but for every good positive kind of social use like parental control and responsible parenting and Keeping your kids safe. You can also. I'm, I'm just reminded of uh, my friend Cindy Southworth at the National Network to End Domestic Violence. All of the same tracking capabilities can be used in a in a really horrific way to know. you know to track and an, a domestic partner or you know to engage in, in online or offline abuse. So I think we need to be really careful about our enthusiasm. I mean, again, I was joking about before about tracking my own kids, but I think you you really need to exercise caution about these technologies having only a benign use
0: so i'd not c- completely agreed to, uh, uh what uh, <laughs> this does sort of raise the problem that President Obama and uh, Prime Minister Cameron have raised, uh, which is, uh, okay, so you want end-to-end encryption, but we see a lot of times when we need to break the encryption. Uh, And it's true, we're not parents, we're not corporate CISOs, but we're doing it for reasons that are at least as important as as theirs. Um, Where has CDT been on that
3: issue? Let me be really clear. We don't think permanent backdoors are a good idea. For any reason, uh, we, we think certainly we want faster and, and more agile ability to get the data if there is a significant threat, whether it's national security law enforcement, and we want to make sure the process exists, um, for the countries to keep our citizens safe. But a permanent backdoor, a permanent kind of vulnerability in wh- whatever system, whether it's encryption or, or other kinds of protection really just invites Mischief by not only other governments that we might not want to see in our, in our devices, but, but other you know, hackers as well. So we are really strong and I think it's a fairly, for us, it's a, it's a fairly simple issue that permanent vulnerabilities undermine not only individual confidence and trust that their data can be kept safe, but frankly, confidence in, in the companies that, that individuals are doing business with. I mean, I think we see post Snowden, U.S. based multinationals struggling to make Argument that data is secure, data is safe. I mean, the 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 Lenovo Comodo conversation really gets to again issues of customer trust and individual dignity, and also bottom line issues for companies as well. So, so I, I
0: I I hear you on that, uh, and I know everybody's saying, oh, after Snowden, the rest of the world wants more privacy. I don't see it. I uh, every English-speaking country but ours since Snowden has adopted laws that empower government. Uh, the Brits, after the killing in the streets of that guy, uh, of the soldier, uh, uh, severely criticized U.S. technology platforms mm-hmm. for not alerting them to a post that one of the attackers made. Uh, um, uh, can you name a government other than somebody in the United States, a, a government that has responsibility for law enforcement, so that we can put aside Brussels, uh, that actually is enthusiastic about more unbreakable encryption on the, uh, the Internet?
3: Oh, no, and I wasn't arguing that they were. What I was okay. arguing is that non-U.S.-based companies are using it as, as a absolute sword to yes but you know that's because
0: they're talking privacy uh to their public and they're talking we can give you access to more data to their uh to their governments uh uh, and so uh it, it will be there'll be a lot of privacy talk and a lot of actual security implementation
3: so the good news for cdt is that this is an increasingly global dialogue and we need global norms and the conversations are being elevated to place to or expanded to kind of Intergovernmental bodies, not just the data protection commissioners, but, but others as well. Um, there are also trade implications and some would argue that these are, these issues are non-tariff trade barriers for many parts of the world. Um, so.
0: Yeah, but they're going to argue that it's a national security issue and yes. um, they're probably going to win that argument.
3: Uh, we'll see. Not as long as I'm on this
0: side. Okay, okay. So um, anything else you want to cover because we're coming to the end of the program? Uh, I'm going to give you an opportunity, and you can take it now if you like, to uh, uh, promote upcoming events.
3: Oh, thank you, Stuart. You're so kind. Yes, I hope everyone listening hears this in time to join us for our annual dinner. It's for, conveniently known as the Tech Prom in Washington, D.C. on March 10th, where you will see Chairman Tom Wheeler days after his net neutrality decision or the commission's decision and EDP. Yes, Commissioner Giovanni Buttarelli will okay. be joining us as well. So a great program and also a great fun night. That should be terrific. That should be terrific.
0: Uh, uh, Jason, uh, Michael, any uh, promotions, uh, any upcoming speeches?
1: Not for me. No, me neither.
0: All right. I'm going down to the to Miami uh uh Friday to talk to the American College of Trial Lawyers uh, uh uh Alex Abdo from the ACLU and I will be uh taking our debate uh not unlike the debate we just had uh on the road. Uh, I said I'd do it but only if it was warmer than it is here, right? Uh so uh, uh if you're if you happen to be in the American College of Trial Lawyers, so well, i look forward to seeing you down there. Uh, um, Thank you Jason Thank you Michael. Thank you Unula. This was a delight as always, as I expected it would be. Uh, and uh, just as a reminder to our listeners, the cyber law podcast is open to feedbacks and uh, questions, suggestions for interview candidates, topics uh, to the cyber law podcast at steptoe.com. Leave a message. Uh, I have been trying desperately to get people to leave entertainingly abusive voicemails, and no one does it. Uh, that's two oh two eight six two five seven eight five. We will play them if you leave them. But they're gonna to have to be funny. Uh this has been episode fifty five of the Steptoe Cyber Law Podcast brought to you by Steptoe and Johnson. Next week we'll have Shabon Gorman, formerly of the Wall Street Journal, uh and after her Mike Rogers, former uh House Intelligence Chair. Andy Osment uh, from the Department of Homeland Security's uh, Cybersecurity Unit, and Richard Beitlich, uh, who's the Chief Security Strategist at FireEye, among others. Uh, We hope you'll join us as we once again provide insights into the latest events in technology, security, privacy, and government.